0: Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter three, please. To keep in mind, primary focus message of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. It simply means he's supreme. He is superior, and that was to fight against and to answer their problem of gnosticism, which was like secret knowledge. And he said, no, Christ is has the preeminence, or Christ is preeminent. He's superior. He is first place. He's supreme in comparison to all other things. With that in mind, as you look through the, the book itself, like chapter 1, Christ, the preeminence of Christ is declared. Chapter 2, the preeminence of Christ is defended. And where we're at in chapter 3 and 4 is that the preeminence of Christ is demonstrated. This is gospel in life. We're going from doctrine, chapters 1 and 2, to duty. This is demonstration. So chapter 3 and 4 is gospel in life. This is how 24-7 I'm demonstrating my submission to the, or to the will of God and my obedience to the word of God. So this is, this is where we're at, and this is where uh, in the Colossians, this is why we're studying this, and specifically chapter 3 and 4 is the demonstration of Christ's uh, preeminence. Two key prepositions. I related these to you last week. The preposition in and the preposition with. In has to do with union. We are in Christ. We have union with Christ. And that's the primary preposition used in chapter 1 and 2. It's not that it's not used in the rest of the book, but chapter 1 and 2 primarily is in. We're union with Christ. That has to do with the doctrine. We're with is the primary preposition used in chapter 3 and 4. In fact, as we looked last week in uh, chapter 3, we are raised with Christ. We are hidden with Christ. We appear with him. The idea of with there is unity. In other words, we have this face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ. We are with him. We are hidden with him. So with has to do with unity, in has to do with union. As I seek to have gospel in life, to demonstrate 24-7 my submitting to the will of God and living in obedience to the word of God, I am with him. Question then. Obviously... How can the preeminence of Christ, which is the theme of the book, be demonstrated in my life? And as we look at that, specifically now in the next few Sundays, hopefully be able to drive that home. How can the preeminence of Christ, this is the superior, the supreme, the supremacy of Christ, be demonstrated in my life? Your talk talks, and you've heard this, I think, before. Your talk talks and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It's, it's kind of a play on words, I but the point is this. Yes, we are to verbally share the gospel with people, but you may not necessarily share the gospel with everyone because you don't have that type of relationship, but you can show the gospel consistently in your life. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 4. This is the understanding my relationship with Christ. Now verses 1 to 4 is a transition. We're, we're coming from in Christ to with Christ. So verse the first four verses of chapter 3 is that transition moving from what I believe to how I should behave. I only have I felt like I only have time to address just One area, uh, and I'll explain that. In fulfilling my responsibility, fulfilling my responsibility with Christ, verses 5 to 11. We're only going to look at verses 5 through 7. I believe that's all we're going to have time for uh, this morning. There's a rule called Toomey's Rule. It's easy to make decisions on matters for which you have no responsibility. That's Toomey's rule. It's easy to make decisions in matters for which you have no responsibility. What you're going to see in these verses 5 11, you and I have responsibility. In fact, I, I think that I've written pretty much using personal pronouns of my or I as opposed to we or our. Because you and I have a personal responsibility in fulfilling that responsibility as it's laid out here in the Scripture for us. And I, and I use the word fulfilling because there's three different phrases or uh, three different concepts or ideas that are laid here that place upon us this responsibility to fulfill these things. The, the first one is put to death. There, that's found in verse 5. Put to death necros. I mean, and King, the other versions use the word mortify. Zero tolerance. Put to death. This is a radical act in which you strenuously exert energy to slay sin that so easily overcomes your flesh. Put to death. Now, let me, let me show you the second one. Put off. Put off is, is to discard an old filthy garment, to, to throw it away, to... Uh, remove uh, habits, uh, bad habits, or sinful habits, attitudes, and actions. This is like, it's an old filthy garment, it's a used garment. It's something that's lost its uh, usableness. This is a a crazy illustration, but it's a true story. Uh, When my parents relocated and bought a farm in west central Minnesota, people that lived there before us had some domesticated ducks. They're called Muscovy ducks. We we had a feedlot. We raised cattle. To fatten up and sell, uh, we raised primarily beef, and the uh, feedlot was sloped like this, so the runoff as well as the manure would slide towards the back of the feedlot. That had never been actually cleaned, so the there was quite a buildup of manure over the years. And I was uh, in eighth grade, and the previous owners came back to get their domesticated ducks, the Muscovy ducks. They don't necessarily fly, but they flap their wings and run on the ground, and they're rather big not necessarily easy to catch, and so we're chasing around, we're catching them one by one, and two of them took off through the barnyard. Well, I, the manure had gotten a crust on the top of it. On to me, I didn't know how deep it was, nor did I know that it was a hard. I thought it was hardened, you know, maybe a, at most, maybe a cover of my shoe. Okay, and so I took off across the Muscobe Duck because you know they didn't touch the ground basically. And the first step, it kind of sunk in. The second step, it went into between my ankle and knee, and I tripped. And yes, you, whatever you can imagine, that's exactly what happened. Those clothes needed to be discarded. Now, my, my dad took me behind the house, hosed me down to kind of hose off the whatever there on me. And the more we thought about it, we had to discard them. So I took them off, discarded them, went in the house, then I got cleaned up and redressed, of course. We threw those clothes away. It wasn't even worth trying to save them. They were tossed. That's what put off means. You're not just ridding it, you're you're burning it, you're burying it, you're getting rid of it completely. So to put to death, to mortify, to kill, and then to put off. The third one, again, I'm emphasizing fulfilling my responsibility in this passage. Then, to put on. You'll find that phrase in it. This is to take up and put on those graces that characterize my Savior, to be like Christ. To so have put to death, put off, and put on. Good question is, why does he use put to death and put off In essentially mean the same thing, in other words, get rid of them? I don't know. In other, other passages of Scripture, like Ephesians, he never, he never uses put to death. He just uses put off and put on and, and talks about many of the same sins we're going to talk about this morning. It may be that in Halase, this was a particular issue that needed to be dealt with directly and head on. And to emphasize to the, to the believers there that these things, you need to get serious about these things and kill them. Don't leave any room for them at all uh, to have any inroad or foothold in, in your life uh, at all. Verses 5 through 11. There's two areas that we're to slay the earthly. Uh, Don't don't write those two things down. Just listen to me a minute. There's lust of the flesh, and there's lust of the eyes. And then he gets into, in other words, we're to slay the earthly, but then he gets into also sensual sins and social sins seems to have a specific emphasis upon sensual or sexual sins related to that. So slay the earthly. Put it to death. There ought to be no room for it. There ought to be no foothold given. There's nothing to grasp onto. It has vel- velcro has been removed. It's slippery substance has been added, so you cannot grab hold of it to slay it, get rid of it, be done with it. doesn't mean you'd be tempted. It simply means it has no grounds for its grasping hold of your, of your life. So the first two we see there have to do with sensual sins, verses 5 to 7. He says, verse 5, Therefore put to death, kill it, mortify it, your members which are on the earth, specifically, first one, fornication. Now, fornication, the word is pornea. We get our word pornography. It comes from that word. It's a general term. In other words, it's, it's broad in its meaning. It's not specifically a, a specific sin, but it's generally speaking of this whole area of uh, a, any type of sensual uh, activity. This pornea, fornication. general but inclusive of any sexual activity outside the, the marriage of one man to one woman. That is totally, politically incorrect. Right? But it's Bible. This is the truth of the scripture. And it includes everything from pornography, adultery, even to homosexuality. It covers the whole gamut. This is a, and, and what he's saying is, we need to put this to death. If this is something that is plaguing you, or that you are tempted with, on a consistent, congenial basis, then you've not put it to death. But you're allowing to to, to involve you, whether it be in your heart, your mind, your actions, to put it to death. In general but inclusive of any acti- sexual activity outside the marriage of one man to one woman, to put it to death. Let me just talk about the cleanness first. Catharsis means to cleanse or clean. When you add a prefix to that, which in Greek is ak, it means not clean. That's what this is. This is unclean. It hasn't been purified. He says, put to death fornication, put to death uncleanness." sometimes used to translate impurity, in the context of moral failure with emphasis on the mental fantasy that feeds my base nature. Say, well, Pastor, I can cross fornication off my list. Can you cross uncleanness off? Because this has to do with that, that moral failure, but it's still with the emphasis on the mental fantasy that feeds my base nature. Those things that feed that desire, without ever crossing the line. Pastor, I've never crossed the line. On cleanness, you've already crossed the line. There's a chemical compound, and I don't know what its name is, and it's added to liquid. It's tasteless, it's odorless, completely dissolved in the liquid. It could be hot, it could be cold liquid, it could be uh, colored liquid, it could be any type of that, but it's tasteless, it's odorless, and it's completely dissolved within the liquid itself. This chemical composition is obviously different than, the, than, let's say, the liquid that it's in, like water. But if ingested, it will kill you. That's what uncleanness is. If ingested, if allowed this fantasy to grow and progress and grab a hold of you, it will kill you. It will take you to the next level. Put to death, therefore, fornication. Put to death, therefore, uncleanness. The next one is passion. Pathos. Passion. This was a, this was a great illustration of this, or, or picture, picture so you can see this. It's the inflamed passion of the sensual appetite that ignores reason, the truth of Scripture, potential shame, the holiness of God, to feast on what makes me feel good—that's what passion is. It's totally illogical. It makes there's no reason why. Here's this individual; they've known Christ as their Savior for what, 15 years, 20. Years. Remember, this is written to believers, by the way. This is this is written to believers. So this is, this is, believers struggle with this. We're not immune to this. And this person's been saved 15 and 20 years. And they move into the area of uncleanness and actually fornication. And you're going, why? It doesn't make sense. How can you, how can you ignore the holiness of God if nothing else? Why is that? Because we are so consumed with how it makes me feel good. Because it comes all about me and nothing about my relationship with Christ or God through Christ. Put these things to death. Don't allow them to have a foothold, a handhold, in any way, shape, or form in your life. That inflamed passion is burning. The next one, evil desire, epithuma, or thumia. This is that driving, driving. We say, well, that person's a type A personality. They're really driven. Well, that's what what this evil desire is. It's a driving sensual lust that will seek to create the opportunity to satisfy my inflamed passions. In other words... You are at such a point, you are creating opportunities, whatever they may be, that you can satisfy your passion, your inflamed passion, your burning passion. You're consumed by it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, and you've heard this before. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery within his heart. William Barclay, a biblical historian, wrote this about the Greco-Roman culture of the first century, which Colossae was much, very much part of. That. When I read this, you're going to say he wrote that for the first century. It fits the 21st century. Listen to what he said. Chastity was the one completely new virtue which Christianity brought into the world. In the ancient world, sexual relationships before marriage and outside of marriage were the expected and accepted norm. The sexual appetite was regarded as something to be gratified, not to be controlled. Does that sound familiar? This is the age we live in. And remember, he was writing to believers. The potential for you to struggle in this area is great, if not already involved in it. Put these things to death. Don't give them a foothold. Don't give them a handhold. Second Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this, this is the will of God. And I love it when you see this in Scripture. This isn't something you have to pray about. You have to pray, should I do this, not this? No, this is the will of God, your sanctification, which means we set apart from sin unto a holy God, or set apart from sin unto holiness. This is the will of God, basically saying this. This is the will of God, your holiness. Specifically, it gets real personal, that you should abstain from what? Sexual immorality. This is the will of God. You put these things to death. Don't let them slide by. Deal with it. Confess it. Move on. Flee from it. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. By embracing God's holiness, there's no room for man's lustful passion to feed his sensual appetite outside the bounds of marriage of one man to one woman. This is God's will. Your sanctification. Those things had to do with lust of the flesh. The fifth thing we see in this text that we're to put to death is covetousness. This would have to do with the lust of the eyes. Planexia, the greedy desire to have more, has been described as a ruthless self-seeking, described by Paul as idolatry. A man by the name of Mao, M-O-U-L-E, wrote, Idolatry is an attempt to use God for man's purpose rather than to give oneself to God's service. It's, it's the attempt to use God for man's purpose rather than to give oneself to God's service. Covetousness. Greedy desire to have more. This is This is great. The Greeks described it as putting water in a pail that already has holes in it, to consume to more. For instance, a desire for money may possibly even lead to theft or compromise to get more. I had a relative that was involved in a public school setting, and uh, they were in charge of like a, a money exchange where students would buy tickets, whether whatever the activity was, everything from lunch ticket to activity tickets. Over the period of time she found out it was pretty easy to put part of that money in her pocketbook. Well, over a period of about five years she was able to steal eight to ten thousand dollars. Desire for money. Need it? No. Wanted it. To fulfill their greedy desire to have more. Put these things to death. Desire of recognition will lead to self-promotion. Desire of power leads to tyranny or dictatorship. Lead a desire for sensual uh, fulfillment leads to immorality or moral failure. A man was talking to a counselor, pastor counselor, and he said to him, I've been giving into to temptation, and my conscience is bothering me. Well, the pastor counselor responded to him and says, so you need something to strengthen your willpower to resist and overcome. The man replied, actually, I was looking for something that would weaken my conscience. The application is this. What I feed my mind and my heart determines whether I am covetous or content. I want something that's going to weaken my conscience. No, we want something that's going to strengthen our willpower. Each of us, when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, have been permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have within us the power to overcome. There is a chief of an Indian tribe, and uh missionary had come in and had a great influence of evangelism. The chief himself had put his faith and trust in Christ. And uh, he went and talked to the missionary He said, I'm really struggling. I'm doing some things I don't want to do, and some of the things I know I need to do, I'm not doing. And the missionary uh, said, well, I, you know, I'm not exactly what you mean by and he said." And the chief said, well, let me put it this way. I have two dogs in my heart. I have the white dog, which represents Christ. I have the black dog, that represents Satan. And it seems that which one ever I feed the most is the one that wins. What you feast on, what you feast on, is going to win. What I feed my mind and heart determines whether I am covetous or content. How are you demonstrating the preeminence of Christ in your life today? Put these things to death. Don't play games with these. It's like playing with a pet rattlesnake. You're going like, well, that's absurd, Pastor. Exactly. It's exactly absurd. So as he, as he talks about all, all these things, at least four out of the five, focus in on the aspect of sensual pleasure. As opposed to having the preeminence of Christ, He's supreme, He's superior in all things. How are you demonstrating the preeminence of Christ in your life? Gospel in life, fulfilling my responsibility with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that we can come to you. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for the scallops, the the challenge of Scripture. And Father, I pray as the Spirit of God works on us to not only aware of the sin that we may be struggling with ourselves, but also the Lord, more importantly that, is to focus on the holiness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, giving me things that I don't deserve. And Father, I pray that indeed we as believers, as a church family, as we seek to put 24-7 demonstration by our obedience to the Word of God and submitting ourselves to your will, that we will be different, not like the world, not like the 21st century, but wholly embrace, wholly embrace your holiness. If you're here this morning, say Pastor Ken with heads bowed and eyes closed, please don't look around. And I also understand The nature of the message is something that you don't want to share publicly. That's fine. But I do want to give you an opportunity to say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me in these areas. Is there anyone like that? Father, we thank you for the challenge that's set forth by Paul, not just to the church at Colossae, but to Faith Bible Church. Strengthen us, guide us, empower us, but indeed it will be from God through his spirit, through your word as we go forth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.